Um, and we've been going through uh, this little series, Life to the Full, looking at the opening chapters of John's Gospel. And it's the sort of the final one in the series of four this morning, and we're looking at John chapter three. So if you're near the end of a row, uh, hopefully there's some bits of white paper there, and just pass those down. That's got the Bible passage on. Uh, John chapter three, verses one to 21. Well-known passage. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at it together. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to live by the truth, and so we want to come into your light today. Father, would you please comfort us, and would you please challenge us this morning, as each one of us needs it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, John, who is the author of this gospel, John is someone, if you like, who often has these themes that he writes about, and he refers to these themes time and time again as he goes through his gospel. So if you were here uh, three weeks ago, um, at the very first um, in this series, when we looked at the very beginning of John chapter 1, uh, we saw a number of themes right at the start of John's gospel in that famous prologue that, um, that uh, often is read at Christmas. Uh, we saw the death to life theme. Uh, we saw the dark to light theme, and we saw the being born to being born again theme. And, and here in chapter 3, those same three themes, they come yet again. So if you look at verse 3, uh, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So there's the born theme. 
or look down to verse 16, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, the life theme. Uh, Or look at verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So the light theme. And these three ideas, uh, having life, eternal life, life to the full, uh, coming into the light uh, and being born again, they all basically are meaning the same thing. If you like, they're, they're different angles that John is, is shining on the same concept, the concept of the result of coming to believe in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, what we're going to look at as we look at this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, I'd love to try and answer three questions. See, if we're thinking about living life to the full, if we're thinking about being born again, if we're thinking about coming into the light... Here are three questions about those things. Who? Who needs it? What? What is needed to get it? And how? How do we know that we have it? So let's first think about who. Who needs life to the full? Who needs to be born again? I mean, let's check out Nicodemus, first of all. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus, if you like, he is the Archbishop of Canterbury, Theresa May, and Albert Einstein all rolled into one. And I don't mean that physically, although I must admit, my warped brain, as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, what would those three look like? And so I found an app uh, and I, that where you merge different faces, and the result is very frightening. You'll see it coming up on the screen now. It's very frightening, I warn you. That is the result. So I am not saying that Nicodemus needed to look like that. He didn't, I'm sure. Uh, but I am saying... We'll take that off, please, quickly. Um, I, I, I am saying that Nicodemus was a religious leader, like Justin Welby. Verse 1, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Uh, Nicodemus was also a political leader, a civic leader, like Theresa May. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, verse 1. And he was an academic leader, like Albert Einstein. Verse 10, if you look at verse 10, it says, literally, you are the teacher of Israel. You're the top dog. So Nicodemus, he is morally, he is religiously, he is academically, he is socially, he is up there. There is no one more impressive than Nicodemus. And yet... He's incredibly humble too. Here's Jesus. Jesus, a young man, no formal theological training, and Nicodemus comes to him and says, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, teacher, the older man saying to the younger man, teach me. And I think you'd agree that Nicodemus is very impressive. You know, if anyone could be part of God's kingdom just by their own credentials, it is Nicodemus. And yet, what is Jesus' opening gambit to Nicodemus? Verse 3, verse 3, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He reiterates it in verse 7. He says, you must be born again. Now, please, let's hear this. This is an outrageous thing to say. Who needs to be born again? Who needs to come into the light? Who needs to have life to the full? Everyone, says Jesus, everyone, even someone as impressive as Nicodemus. And if Nicodemus needs to be born again, then so do we. So do you, so do I. And if we take Jesus at his outrageous word, that means so does the good Hindu, the moral atheist, the peaceful Muslim. Jesus says a person cannot have eternal life, cannot come into the light, cannot see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I sometimes hear people say, I've been a Christian all my life. And I understand what they're often meaning. They're often meaning that they were brought up in a family where their parents were Christians. 
But in some senses, if you like, it is an unhelpful phrase because Jesus is saying no one can be a Christian all their life. Because after being born physically at the very start of our life, Jesus says at a later date, each one of us, we need to be born again, everyone. Now, I know as well as you do that there is bad PR around the term born again. But when you look at the Bible, born again is not a fringe kind of cult Christianity. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's what Jesus says every one of us who walks on planet Earth needs. And Jesus Christ says, if we haven't been born again, then we may be alive physically, but we are dead spiritually. We're in need of new life. And we may be walking in the light physically during daylight hours, but spiritually, he's saying we're in the dark, in need of the light switched on. And at the start of chapter 3, that is Nicodemus. Do you notice in verse 2, he came to Jesus, verse 2, at night. He is spiritually as well as physically in the dark. So that's who. Who needs life to the full? Who needs to be born again? Everyone. All of us. Second, what? What? If we are all naturally needing this, we're needing to be born again, we're needing life to the full, what is needed for that to happen? And the answer is two things are needed for that to happen. And the first thing is this, the Spirit's birth in us. The Spirit's birth in us. Just look at how Jesus continues the conversation. Look at verse 5. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So three times there, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, he mentions being born of the Spirit, and he compares it to the wind. So he says we can't see the wind itself, but we can see the effects of the wind. You know, we can see a kite in the sky. We can see a tree blown over. We can see an umbrella turned inside out. And he says that's the same when someone's born of the Spirit. We can't see the birth happening, but we can see the effects of the Spirit. If you like, we can see the fruit of the Spirit, the effects, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I love the story about the queen, how uh, the queen uh, once went into one of the tourist shops near Balmoral, and uh, she had sort of her headscarf on, so she was a little bit sort of disguised by having her headscarf on, and she picked up one of those sort of souvenir plates that's got a picture of the queen on it, and she said to the shop lady, she said, do you sell many of these? And the shop lady said, yes, they're very popular. And then the shop lady looked at at the queen and said, has anyone told you that you look remarkably like the queen? (laughs) To which uh, apparently the queen, in her own inimitable way, replied, How very reassuring. (laughs) Now, that is the biggest effect of the Spirit in our lives. Not not recognizing accurately who the Queen is, but the biggest work of the Holy Spirit being born in you, being born in me, the biggest work is the Spirit helping us to recognize accurately who Jesus is. As the Spirit works in us, so we recognize who Jesus truly is, and so we fall in love with Him. And that is what is needed to be born again, to live life to the full for the Spirit's birth in you and in me. That's the first thing, the Spirit's birth in us. Then the second thing that is needed is the Son's death for us. The Son's death for us. Look on to verse 13. 
Jesus is continuing to speak in verse 13. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And this is Jesus. He's predicting that just as in the Old Testament with Moses, Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in Old Testament times so the people back then could live. So Jesus is saying he would have to be lifted up to death on a cross so that we, you and I, can live eternally. As verse 16, that most famous of all verses says, in verse 16 it says we deserve to perish because of our sin says we deserve to perish. Verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. We deserve to perish, but because of God's love in Christ, on the cross, because of God's love, he took the punishment in our place. He perished so we do not need to perish, so that we can know eternal life rather than eternal death. And Jesus says those two things are needed. The Spirit's birth in us and the Son's death for us. And I'd love each of us just to note something about those two things. One of them is an external event in the past, Jesus' death. It's an external event in the past. The other of them is an internal experience in the present, being born of the Spirit. And the two are connected. We need to see that. The two are connected. For it is God's Spirit, God's Spirit being born in us, that helps us to see what really happened on the cross. That God's Spirit helps us to see that the ultimate demonstration of God's love for you and for me is the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, it's a famous hymn, but when we sing that, we are singing about a work of the Spirit. The Spirit working in us so that you and I might see how wondrous the cross is. That supreme demonstration of God's love for you and for me. So who needs to be born again? Everyone. What is needed for us to be born again? The Spirit's birth in us and the Son's death for us. And then finally, how do we know that we have it? How do you know that you've been born again? How do you know that you have life to the full? How do I know it? And the answer at its simplest is by believing in Jesus. Just look at how the word believe, it comes again and again and again. Look at verse 15. I'll read from verse 15. He says, verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And if you were to carry on reading chapter 3 of John's Gospel to the very end, to the last verse, verse 36, it's sort of the summary verse of the first three chapters of the Gospel. Look, at, it's going to come up on the screen. This is verse 36. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. 
And I hope just me reading those verses, all those beliefs, hopefully it becomes clear to each and every one of us that it is essential to believe in Jesus so that we might know eternal life, so that we might know life to the full, starting now, going on into eternity, so that we might be born again of the Spirit, so we might move out of the darkness into the light, so that we might no longer be standing in condemnation and fearing God's wrath, but rather basking in God's love and basking in God's salvation. It is essential to believe, and it is wonderful to believe. It is life to the full. But in the last six, seven minutes, I want to ask, if you like, a a further question. What does it actually mean to believe in Jesus? You know, lots of us here, we will say, I believe in Jesus. But what do you or I mean by saying that? What do we mean by saying, I believe in Jesus? Uh, Half term has just started. And for us, that has meant that we have two new guests in our house this week. Uh, They're called Honey and Lily, and they are the guinea pigs from Hope, our four-year-old's nursery, that we are in charge of for half-term week. Now, um, those of you with a good memory and have been in the church a little while will remember that we used to own our very own guinea pigs as a family. Uh, They appeared in sermons from time to time, not physically, I didn't bring them in, but they appeared in illustrations. And... um, Sadly, as many of you may know, that both of our own guinea pigs, they both met a sticky end. Um, and one of them was due to me, if I'm honest, this is, this is uh, you know, confession time. One of them was uh, because I left the guinea pig roaming around our garden, and uh, then it got to the evening, and I didn't put it back in the hutch, and it got dark. And um, I thought, I'll give it 10 minutes trying to find this guinea pig in the dark with a torch. And after 10 minutes, I gave up because I wanted my sleep, so I went to bed. And I left it out, and I thought, I'll just pick it up in the morning. It'll be fine, and I'll stick it back in the hutch. Uh, all will be absolutely fine. But then Mr. Fox came uh, in the morning before I came, and... Um, yeah, oops, there we go. Um, so, um, well, with these two guinea pigs that have come to us from the nursery, I'm not going to do make that mistake this week, don't worry. Um, uh, with these two guinea pigs that we have, of course, uh, with our elder children, that has caused them to, to reminisce about their own guinea pigs that met a sticky end and uh, to mourn their loss once again, to bring up all the old emotions that I thought they'd forgotten about. But no, it's brought it all up again. So I had statements said to me yesterday such as, Dad, you're a murderer. Dad, <laughs> Dad you're a guinea pig killer. Um, which was charming. Incorrect, I might add, not murder. Maybe I'm guilty of manslaughter, or guinea pig slaughter, but not murder. Um, But it got me thinking, it got me thinking, did I believe in the guinea pigs? Did I believe in the guinea pigs? Yeah, of course I did. Intellectually, I believed they existed. Of course I did. But did I believe in the guinea pigs in the sense of wanting the best for them? Did I believe in them? Or, Or did I believe in wanting a good night's sleep more than keeping the guinea pigs safe? You know the answer to that one. I mean, if it had been my children that were stuck out in the, in the... You know, I would have spent all night looking for them, wouldn't I? Did I really believe in the guinea pigs? And do you and I really believe in Jesus? You see, believing in Jesus, it is actually quite ambiguous for Nicodemus. Uh, up on the screen are going to come the, two, the three verses before our reading. So the last three verses of chapter 2. I'd just love to read them to you. These are the, the last three verses, the three verses before the reading we've just had. It says this, Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. There's that word, believe. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, 
for he knew what was in each person. And if we just keep that verse up, but just look at the start, look at chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus. Do you see? He comes because of the signs that Jesus was performing. That's what it says in verse 2. It's exactly the same reason as people were coming to him, to Jesus, at the end of chapter 2. And we see there, at the end of chapter 2, people say they believed in Jesus, but Jesus says, actually, no, they didn't actually believe in him. It, It wasn't totally genuine. It wasn't a heart belief. And actually, as you go through John's gospel, there are several examples where people seem to believe in Jesus. They're enthusiastic for him. They believe in him, but then they don't really believe in him. Like, I didn't really believe in the guinea pigs. And Nicodemus could be one example of that. It's ambiguous. One uh, Bible uh, commentator writes this. He writes, Nicodemus moves through the narrative with one foot in each world. One foot, as it were, putting Jesus first. One foot putting the things of the world first. And the commentator says, in this gospel, that is not good enough. You see, when somebody has been involved in riotous living, wildlife, and then they are born again of the Spirit, it looks obvious because there is such a radical change. Think of the woman at the well in this next chapter of John's gospel, John chapter 4. Think of the amazing testimonies of some people today, many in our own church as well. But what does it look like to be born again of the Spirit for those who on the surface look relatively morally upright, like Nicodemus. And let's face it, that is probably the majority of us here. Those who look relatively plight, nice, middle class. You know, I, I can say I believe in Jesus, but do I really, or do I believe in something more than I believe in Jesus, like I believed in a good night's sleep more than I believed in guinea pigs? Am I really all in for Jesus? Or do I just believe in Jesus intellectually, but actually I truly believe in my comfort, my well-being, my popularity, my decent standard of living? Are those things my saviour, my God's, more than Jesus's? Let me finish by asking you to imagine a situation. Imagine a widow has a son. And at huge sacrifice to this woman with her very little personal finances, she puts her son through good schools, through good university. And as he's growing up, she says to her son, she says, son, when you grow up, when you grow up, I want you to be a good citizen. I want you to care for the poor. I want you to look out for others. I want you to tell the truth. And after her son graduates... He does indeed do all those things, but he never bothers to speak to his mum or spend any time with her. And imagine you asked the son about it, and he said, yeah, that's trightly right. You know, I tell the truth. I look out for the poor. I'm a good citizen, but I haven't got any time for my mother. I don't do anything with her personally. It's a waste of time. I doubt you'd be very satisfied with that answer. It's not enough for him to live a good life as his mum desired, but not have any relationship with her. He owes her his love and his loyalty. And you see, if Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, you and I, we owe him everything. Far more than being good and upright citizens who actually believe in a nice, comfortable life more than we believe in Jesus. Far more than being people with a foot in each world, we owe Jesus everything. You and I, we are to be all in. Either Jesus is the thing we believe in, 
And every other thing in life is evaluated in light of our belief in Jesus. Or the reality is we don't actually really believe in Jesus at all. Jesus deserves, indeed he demands, to be at the center of your life and my life. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's how that famous hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, that's how it finishes. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, life to the full comes as we give our full life to Jesus. Let's just take a moment uh, to pray, to respond to Jesus, to let him continue to work in us by his Spirit. Jesus, thank you for your love so amazing, so divine, that demands my soul, my life, my all.